Welcome back. In September of 2018, I saw a tweet from the brilliant Dr. Benjamin Bickman, who was talking about his team's publishing of a new study that showed that ketones boost muscle health. We had him on to talk about the study, also got his background and talked about insulin and diabetes, and then we moved on to things like family and some of the products that Dr. Bickman had coming up. Those products have since been released, so check him out on Instagram or Twitter. He is an incredible follow because he finds so much fascinating research and really puts it out there. No intro music, let's get right to it, Dr. Benjamin Bickman. Welcome to the Price Off Podcast. I am more than honored to have Dr. Benjamin Bickman of Brigham Young University on today. And so uh, the, the story with us is that last year I went to KetoCon in Austin and Ben was one of the best speakers I'd ever seen on basically any <laughs> subject and immediately instant Twitter follow. And what I realized is that uh, you are the reason why I, I love Twitter right now is because so many researchers like yourselves are posting your studies and actually like uh, discussing them with each other. And it's great to get a peek into that world. And so thank you so much for uh, for coming to Austin and talking at KetoCon and for having such a lively Twitter feed. And so that's what kind of brought us here today. Right, thanks. Uh, thanks, Mike, for the introduction. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, yeah, uh, just, uh, at, at the risk of starting off with a bizarre topic, uh, I have also been amazed at how relevant Twitter is. Just as a scientist uh, swimming in the waters of metabolic research, uh, it really has been quite impressive at, at the scope and depth of information and, well, access to people with information. It's really, I've enjoyed it as well. Right. And so before we begin, I do want to tell everyone uh, watching uh, and listening, but mostly watching on YouTube. Uh, it's so first off it's for me, it's August 27th of 2018 at 8 p.m. But for you, you are in the future in August 28th yeah. uh, because you are in Singapore. And so hopefully we have a decent connection here. But yeah, there might be a little bit of jittery audio and there's not a whole lot we can do about that. It looks like we have a decent connection though. So just want to throw that out there that uh, we'll do our best to, to make sure things run okay. That's right. Okay, yeah, good. Singapore is great, mind you. Uh, anyone who's entertaining the idea of coming to visit, it they won't regret it. It's a beautiful place. Well, yeah, maybe we're going we're going to go backwards, but can you tell us what you're doing there and then kind of maybe go backwards from there and tell us a little bit about your background since I'm, I'm assuming most of our subscribers don't know uh, much about who you are. But And then in general, the, the reason I found you is because you posted a new study about uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate and ketones in mitochondria and so that's something that a lot of our subscribers who follow the keto yep. diet might be interested in especially the supplement side of things which is where we are here at price plow and so that's a that's the whole the, the whole kind of story crammed together but yeah what, what's going on out in singapore right now yeah so one of the perks of being a professor of course is the opportunity to go on sabbatical so it's basically uh the university pays the scientist professor to go away and it really is kind of a go, go somewhere, get out of here, go learn something new, go do something new. And uh, a lot of the reason for that, of course, from the university's perspective is so that the scientist comes back uh, with some new ideas in a way. Because as a scientist, it, it really is this glorious career of getting paid to ask questions. And, you know, people... I think often people don't quite appreciate uh, what that's like. Um, but really, I can have a whole you know eight or nine hour work day, and I will just ask myself questions and then f start finding the answers. 
And that is, so that's here in Singapore specifically at sabbatical. Um, I am doing research and I'm also consulting with a supplement company um, named uh, called Unicity. They have a big presence in Asia. And that's fun because my postdoctoral fellowship was in uh, here in Singapore. So it was a really fun opportunity to come back. Uh, but back to uh, my discussion or my comment about being a scientist and being able to ask questions. Uh, a lot of my academic background and research has been studying the effects of insulin and insulin resistance and its relevance in chronic disease. And then with that study of insulin, it was a little bit of a subtle shift. And then my lab focus um, began to uh, kind of zero in a little more on ketones. And that's, that's sort of the new uh, balance, I guess, if you will, of what my lab's focusing on. We're looking at insulin and its relevance to disease. And then more and more, we're looking at ketones and their relevance to disease and health. And the reason those two kind of come together, someone may be hearing me say that and, and think, well, that's a bizarre shift to go from studying insulin to go to studying ketones. In fact, that's a very intimate uh, topic where ketones uh, in the body are normally produced uh, when the oxidation of fat or burning of fat is really, really high. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's so high that there's almost more fat burning than the body needs, and so the body's created this kind of release valve. It can take all of this burning fat and start to shunt some of it into this ketogenic pathway and, and create ketones. And this then becomes a fuel for the brain, but uh, any cell really with, with the capacity to oxidize. So any cell with mitochondria, which is everything but red blood cells. Um, and, and, and so that process of high fat burning can only happen when insulin is low. Mm -hmm. And so that was my progression, if you will, into appreciating ketones. It was, as a guy who studies insulin resistance and its relevance in disease, that meant I had a very healthy appreciation for any intervention that helped keep insulin down. And whatever keeps insulin down will be ketogenic. And that's what kind of got me into that space. And while I still maintain the perspective that uh, the, the, the primary benefits of a diet that lowers insulin, and an obvious, obvious example, of that is a low carbohydrate, higher fat diet. That, while it, the, the primary metabolic benefit comes from lowering insulin, uh, more and more I can appreciate that there is this kind of tangential benefit, a side benefit that comes from actually having ketones up. And that was the nature of the study we published um, looking with beta hydroxybutyrate and muscle function, which we can get into whenever you'd like. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so, and that was actually a question I've. I've posed to some other people is, you know, we see a lot of benefits from the low carb diet. Um, and, and so you wonder, is this the lack of glucose that's around creating, um, creating oxidative damage? Or is it because the ketones are doing, I don't like to say the word miracle or anything, but you know, is it because the ketones are beneficial or it seems like more realistically, it is kind of a mixture of both. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Now, uh, without a doubt. But I will say, um, with extreme confidence when someone adopts a low carbohydrate even ketogenic diet the primary benefit they're experiencing metabolically the weight loss the improved diabetes the improved blood pressure you know assuming someone comes into it from 
kind of an overweight, unhealthy um, uh, direction, and, and I would submit most people do, mm-hmm. at least in my experience, overwhelmingly the benefits they're experiencing metabolically are coming from the controlled insulin. That's what's resulting in all of these myriad benefits. And then I, I submit the, the, enhanced, the enhanced cognition. You know, I, I bet on the early end, most of the benefits the, perf- the person's experiencing from the ketones themselves are going to be felt in the brain. Mm-hmm. And then the other more systemic effects of the ketones, some of which I'm studying in my lab with regards to muscle function and, and fat cell function, how fat cells behave, that's going to just sort of be a little kind of sprinkling or, you know, kind of the cherry on top. I mean, it's a benefit, no doubt. Um, but I think uh, we really have to appreciate that it's going to be more modest in the sake of overall health or in the context of overall health compared to just someone simply lowered their insulin and improved their insulin sensitivity as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and I, I forget what exactly you actually spoke about in Austin, but I, I it, it, just following your Twitter feed, it seems that you are very familiar with type 2 diabetes and because of your study of insulin and everything. And so for someone who's watching this from, from the, the diabetes angle, looking to get into a ketogenic diet, do you have any like kind of general advice or anything like that? Yeah, I do. So, so yeah, I am a my, my as much as people associate my name with ketones, which is fine. I'm quite familiar with it. I am, in fact, a type two diabetes guy. That's my, my my. I'm an insulin resistance guy, and that is the foundation of type two diabetes. So that's my particular strength. That's what it seems like on Twitter um, still. Like just following it. Yeah, I consider you that yeah. guy instead. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. That's certainly that's certainly what I what I want. Um, and ketones is just a fun project. Uh, if you will, on the side, answering questions that just other people aren't asking. Um, so yeah, with with regards to a type two diabetic, uh, the the key uh, factor there is controlling insulin, and the easiest way to do that, and really emphasis on easiest, the easiest way to do that is step number one: control carbohydrates. That has got to be the first step. Now, uh, in fact, it's so it's so logical that it's surprising that we don't that 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 conventional medicine doesn't take that as the very first step Mm -hmm. you see a lot of um, very authoritative bodies with regards to diabetes are still promoting this idea that oh you got to watch your saturated fat eat whole grains eat your fruit i mean that is absolutely nonsense there was a a wonderful paper published in 1987 by the godfather of diabetes research, Gerald Reven, he put, he put type 2 diabetics on a typical uh, kind of whole grain, moderate carbohydrate, low fat, moderate sugar diet, and they all got worse. And this was the diet promoted by the American Diabetes Association, and they got worse. And so if you look at, if this is a disease where we got to control glucose, eat less glucose. It's it, it just... <laughs> It's 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 mind-boggling, and and so there was a study. I was just showing this to a colleague. It was published in 2015 in the Annals of of Internal Medicine, a very good um, biomedical research journal. They took two groups of people. They put one group on, and these were uh, overweight, diabetic, unhealthy people. Uh, one group of people was put on a typical low-fat, low-cholesterol, 
low calorie diet, the mm-hmm. typical thing someone does when they want to lose weight and get healthy. So again, it was basically watch your fat, watch your cholesterol, and eat less. So calorie restriction. Those are the three aspects mm-hmm. of of that diet. And then the other group, they said eat uh, fewer carbohydrates, and they gave them a specific number. The number they started at was 20 grams of net carbs per day. Then they let that bump up a little bit over time, which is a pretty typical way to start. So that which could is be, kind of okay. Well, 20 could be ketogenic, depending on what you're doing with protein. Absolutely. That, there's no. That's right. There's. In fact, we can talk about protein too. That's very relevant. Of course. Um, yeah. But no doubt, no doubt, uh, that's going to be ketogenic, and and that's pretty restrictive. Uh, mind you, that's just how they started. But so that was the you, only instruction. That was the I only was instruction. I say, there's no calorie ah. instruction. No, exactly. And that's why, that's why I – and that's probably why the adherence was so much greater in that group. Yeah. It was about, uh, about 50% more people were able to stick with that protocol than the low-fat, low-calorie diet. And that's mm-hmm. not surprising. When you're told, I just got to watch my carbohydrates and keep it in this range, but I can eat as much of everything else. If it's protein and fat, I can just go for it. Mm-hmm. They lost over twice the amount of fat. Their triglycerides went down about three times more than the low-fat group. Appreciate that for a second. Their blood triglycerides, their blood fat went down three times more than the low-fat group, the group eating more fat. Mm-hmm. It went down, you know, this paradox. And that's because, of course, you're using the fat more, and so there's just less kind of floating around. Nevertheless, to explicitly answer your question at the risk of being uh, perceived as having gone wildly off topic, <laughs> um, first step, control carbohydrates. I'm not saying the person needs to do 20 grams, that's just what this study did. In my the scientist, I always like only talking science and data where I know numbers, but even still, a person could simply say, all right, what are the carbohydrates I'm eating and when am I eating them? All right, I'm going to get smart about it. And that's usually the way I'll also say it's being starch smart. So just scrutinize the quality of the carbohydrate. If it's a vegetable that grows above the ground, that's something you can indulge in pretty much as much as you'd like, pretty much. Um, with fruits, you have to be a little careful, particularly with regards to the tropical fruits like mangoes, pineapples, bananas. Those are the most sugary. Berries um, tend to be the best. Um, anyway, uh if that becomes the foundation of a person's carbohydrate, in fact, to even keep it simple again, if it comes in a bag or a box with a barcode, skip it. Right. Yep. Nothing in a box. So at that point, though, you have a, a type two diabetic who you're now telling to to just you know be very conscious of these carbs, and let's say they they're very used to eating a standard Western diet, and they're used to to shooting insulin afterwards and everything. So. Um, yeah, and so it seems like the standard the standard of care has a greater concern on, on hypoglycemia than it does on actual than on the actual other health parameters that you've talked about, and so I, I think that like that it feels like that's part of the scare or whatever, and a lot of people would be like, okay, well, do I, they have to lower their insulin usage then, don't they? Oh yeah, in fact, in fact, and, and that is a good thing. Right. Uh, often. Yeah. Uh, this this uh, the sign the, the group the biomedical group at Duke, um, Eric Westman, uh, they published uh, they found that uh, when a, an insulin dependent type two diabetic, that's what we're talking type two diabetes. Right. Um, when an insulin dependent type two diabetic adopts a low carbohydrate diet, usually within 24 hours they have to half their dose half. of insulin. Okay. Yeah, it goes down to 50 percent of what they've been taking within just a day. Jeez. And any type 2 diabetic who's listening to this 
they can appreciate insulin is not cheap <laughs> and it's not fun to have to stick yourself with a needle so there's nothing bad with that scenario and so usually what I've found having um, just talked with numerous people about this including physicians who put their patients on low carbohydrate diets usually within a week or so if the if the type 2 diabetic is also on blood pressure medications which is very common mm -hmm. within about a week they've got to get off their blood pressure medications entirely because they start to get lightheaded because their blood pressure is going too low and then several weeks to months they get off their insulin and wow. so within months they're off all medications now I'm not telling people to just stop their medications um, so no one try to sue me or anything but I'm just stating the facts that we see um, medication rather than physicians having to up the dose which of course is common they're lowering and then de-prescribing the medication entirely which is pretty remarkable and the physicians that I've been speaking with they share their just genuine almost childish enthusiasm um, with the idea that for the first time in their career they're getting people off medications and that that just does not happen right and yeah so before we go further I do yeah I, I should throw a disclaimer that no doctor patient confidentiality uh, is created here I am not a doctor and this is not medical advice this is just a story about uh, what typically happens and everything you should do should be followed with strict blood monitoring as well as uh, under the care of your doctor and a dietitian who is savvy to to a lower carbohydrate diet and so uh, yeah yeah, that's right. My hope would be, I think so. I think so. And mind you, I'm not even a physician. I either. Okay. So you and I are extra safe litigation risks here. I'm a scientist. But that's, as a scientist, one of the things, one of the reasons I got involved with social media, you mentioning Twitter earlier, mm -hmm. and, and I use a uh, public Facebook page and uh, Instagram too to share these articles. And we'll make I links to all that in, in the description on the YouTube channel. Sorry for interrupting. Right. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah, I want people to know that this research is out there and, and when they go to talk with their medical practitioner how wonderful is it when the patient can be deeply informed of the topic and if they want to broach the subject of a low carbohydrate diet or, or supplements you know ketone supplements that we'll get into in a bit mm -hmm. uh, man if, if the if the patient can come in well informed uh, all the better and it, it takes a just a wonderful doctor who's humble enough to acknowledge when they don't know something and can actually admit that they could learn something from the patient and that absolutely happens I'm always delighted when I meet physicians who are eager to learn more because they know what they've been taught and if they've not been taught about low carbohydrate diet in the one hour of nutrition they might have had in their entire academic career I in my experience most of them are, are pretty open to these ideas at least coming from a scientist a PhD scientist uh, it's I've been very pleased overall with how readily um, the average physician wants to learn about this that's great yeah that's actually great to hear because sometimes you know people go down the conspiracy theory you know rabbit hole or they're just drug salesmen and, and admittedly you might have a selection bias there because you're talking to people who are already have seen the study or they are right. interested but at the same time um, it's great to hear that from from that point of view and uh, and that you know that's the power of the internet. As for as much as we complain about the internet, or sometimes having too much internet on our phones, and we're always like got our face buried in there like zombies. That was like the original. I wouldn't say intention, but the original like goodwill part of the internet that I really absolutely love. And so it, it's great to hear that you know patients can print that up and hopefully find the full text of the study as well. Um, right. And and this is the study you did. The full text is still available, so that's always that's always appreciated, of course. So. 
Um, okay, yeah, cool, no kidding. And that always, mind you, that de- that depends on the journal right. where we publish. Sometimes a journal is open access, and sometimes it's not. And the scientist doesn't have any say in that, unfortunately. Right, right. Okay, yeah. So I did want to take a step back and talk about the uh, diabetes because you mentioned insulin, and I know that that's yeah what you are very passionate about and have uh, and have spoken about. So I, I appreciate that. That that alone is is obviously very helpful and everything. So um, so obviously things have kind of shifted in your career, at least in some of the, the, the extra interests you have, and then that brought you towards ketones. And so yep. what, what prompted this, this late, could you tell us about the latest study and what, what I guess you, you mentioned that you asked a lot of questions, so what question prompted it? Yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. It was a fun study. Um, partly I say it's fun because it's, there was uh, results that supported the overall hypothesis. Of course, <laughs> there would be there are numerous times when there's nothing to talk about because the hypothesis um, was proven false and it was just a waste of time and money. Um, but there was information gleaned, which itself is valuable. So uh, we had earlier um, published a paper uh, that we found – well, I'll back that up. So – we look at ketones and historically people have viewed ketones in a very negative light right. when i broach the, when i when i bring up the topic of ketones to the average person it's generally although it's less and less all the time to my gratification mm-hmm. it's generally a negative response because they immediately think of ketoacidosis right which is this absolutely lethal situation where a type 1 diabetic has um, insufficient insulin and and when in, so their insulin is basically zero if not absolutely zero and so there is just massive fat burning they're wasting away and we see that in an un, is a in a low insulin type 1 diabetic they are ex, extremely just emaciated because the body in the absence of insulin the body cannot keep its fat it's just burning through all of its fat and the metabolic rate is just climbing 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 yeah it's it's a horrible I'll be honest. So I have a diabetic cat, and he went through a case of DKA, and it was uh, absolutely atrocious. It was a, a large bill. I, I I take a little bit of the responsibility because I know I've read about this stuff and everything, and I yeah. I noticed I know the symptoms of diabetes, and he was showing them, and it just didn't click, and it led right, to a DKA right. case, and it was it was really horrible. Um, but yeah, he uh, he pulled through, and now I have a diabetic cat who I shoot insulin to, and it's a uh, it's interesting yeah. to track that. But it's uh it's obviously something that is horrible. But that is just one case, like one way uh, that ketones get used. And to me, it was oh, like, yeah. kind of like the um, the without the insulin, the cat was not able to get any energy into his cells. Really, I guess so is the way I was kind of saying it. And so the the, the body was just doing whatever it could to, to strip any type of energy out and it was going nowhere and so he was just burning away and uh, you feel yeah, horrible. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Really so so that, that's pretty much, yes, that's right. I mean, that's pretty much the state where in the absence of insulin, the body is just so catabolic mm-hmm. and, so, and specifically lipolytic. Again, it's just burning fat at such a massive rate that ketones just go to these dangerous levels and ketones in and of themselves, each individual ketone is in fact um, acidifying. There's a little hydrogen that will come off and that will affect the pH and that's making the body more and more acidic. Now, anyone who's listening to this then is thinking, well, wait a minute, what about a ketogenic diet? Of course, that is not the same. Being in ketosis is not the same as ketoacidosis. Right. So I'm in ketosis right now, presumably, and my pH is totally normal, 7.4. 
um, because it is the actual amount of ketones being produced is so modest that my body can buffer them perfectly normal. And so I've once heard this analogy, and I'll share it again. The average person has ketones that's comparable to having just lit a small little match. And that teeny little flame is the average person's ketones. And, and, and that's because they eat so much starch and sugar, and they, and they eat it so often that they're only ever even touching ketosis when they're waking up in the morning having fasted overnight, assuming they've fasted overnight. Then they're, they're, they're approaching ketosis. And so it's like a little match burning. You know, for me, I'm, I have a fireplace. You know, the flame is the size of a fireplace. I'm in ketosis often because I watch my carbohydrate consumption. I'm smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mind you, you could, let me, I can even kind of twist that around a little bit. You c- could eat zero carbohydrate, none, nothing, no, no hint of fruit, vegetable, grain, whatever, and eat nothing but animal products. And you would still only get into ketosis. Why? Of course, it's because you're always making glucose. The liver can make all the glucose the body needs. And that means you always have some kind of resting or fasting insulin level. You always have insulin being produced in every body, even if you're fasting completely and you're not eating for seven days or 30 days or whatever. You still have insulin, and just that little amount of insulin is sufficient to keep the brakes on ketogenesis, so the person only ever gets into ketosis, the, the burning of the fire. And then in the insulin-dependent type 1 diabetic who's skipping their insulin injections or is undiagnosed, their house is burning down. Hmm. Now They have so much, so it's orders of magnitude. You know, someone who's in ketosis may have about 10 times the ketone level as someone who's not in ketosis. Mm-hmm. The person who's in ketoacidosis may have 10 times the ketone level as the person who's in ketosis. And again, the person who's in ketosis through fasting or a low-carb diet could never get into ketoacidosis through diet alone because there will always be glucose production in the liver and there will always be insulin production from the pancreas. And those phenomena together, especially the insulin, mm-hmm. will always keep ketogenesis in check so the person will never get into ketoacidosis. It just doesn't happen. Mind you, I say it doesn't happen. The two instances that I'm aware of is is the untreated type 1 diabetic mm-hmm. and um, binge drinking really hard alcohol. So when you load the liver with just massive levels of ethanol, the ethanol in and of itself has a ketogenic capacity and the person can get ketoacidosis. But that's usually going to be someone who's not been eating food. They're just drinking. So it's pretty much just frat boys. Wow. Oh, is there a study or, on that? Or, or, Even in rats? I, um, no, I, I think there is, in fact. Um, although I can't readily cite the right. study. But I know that's an instance of ketoacidosis, just heavy alcohol load to the liver. Um, but again, that's pretty much the person's not eating food and they're only drinking heavy alcohol, so it's pretty much a university-related event. Although not not a BYU, mind you. We don't have that at BYU, That's conservative, true. religious BYU. Yeah, yeah, for Ch- sure. Drinking, drinking chocolate milk does not induce ketoacidosis. <laughs> if it did... If it did, the BYU students would be in trouble. You'd be in big trouble. Oh, wow. Okay, so yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's very important. Um, one personal story is that uh, when I first started mentioning the keto, ketogenic diet, I was very proud that when I told my mom 
She was like, oh, those, those things that make your breath real bad. And I was like, well, at least that's better than, than talking about uh, ketoacidosis that, that a lot of people do bring up in that negative yeah, context. Yeah, no and so, uh, I, and then, that, but that's a lot of, uh, that goes to a lot of the lack of education. Like in our health classes, it was always carbohydrate, carbohydrate, carbohydrate. I was yep. never told that there's this second alternative fuel that my body happily runs on. And so, uh, it, yep. that's just disappointing. But yeah, the word is obviously getting out there. The cat's out of the bag, the internet being what it is. Um, and your research, moving things further and further and further along, and I say your, as in you, both you and your entire community, uh, like I said, the cat's out of the bag. So very much appreciate yeah, Now, Mike, I, I just realized I didn't uh, finish answering your question. Sorry, I, I keep <laughs> distracting it. So you'd asked about that study um, directly. So we, uh, all of this whole last five minutes was me kind of getting around to this idea that uh, I couldn't help but ask the question, why is the body creating ketones? In other words, what would be the point, uh, assuming the body is behaving in a rational way, looking out for its best interest, might there be a benefit to ketones? We've, we've historically talked about ketones in a very negative light, and that's what got me so kind right. of off topic. Yeah. Anyway. And, and yet I couldn't help but say, all right, well, let's start looking more and more at the, the benefits of it. And so the very first study we published with regards to explicitly overloading the body with ketones well, it was a rodent study where we found that when we increased ketones we helped the pancreas work better and that was really surprising um, but but gratifying because if you think about it in normal human physiology ketones are going to be up when the type 1 diabetic is developing type 1 diabetes when the, when the beta cells of the pancreas the cells that are making insulin when they start to die off insulin starts to come down, ketones start to go up, we found that the ketones were actually helping the beta cells work better hmm. and helping them survive better. So this was the first paper we published. And because it was just pancreas-specific, they didn't get a lot of buzz. Right. Um, but we followed that up. Um, we followed that up with the muscle study. Uh, and it was, all right, well, if we see that the ketones are helping the beta cells work better and live better, Let's do the same thing with muscle cells. So we took some muscle cells, grew them in a little Petri dish, just like you'd think of scientists doing, and then we did the same follow-up with rodents. And of course, someone could say, well, why did you do this in rodents? It's because we can pull out the pancreas in rodents. You know, we don't have people willing to come in and let us remove their whole pancreas, you know. So there is a benefit to rodent research, despite its limitations. Mm -hmm. So we found similar results, where the ketones were not only improving the mitochondria of the muscle cells, in other words, the, the mitochondria, we think of them as the powerhouse of the cell, the part of the cell that's actually taking in the fat and the carbohydrate, breaking it down or burning it to create energy in the form of ATP, this molecule that basically the cell can use to buy work. You know, it's kind of, we call it the energetic currency. Um, it, it's, it's the molecule that the cell can use to get stuff done. Hmm. I like that. It's and, buy work. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, we, we found that it was helping the mitochondria work better, and, and by that I mean more ATP produced, less oxidative stress created, so fewer reactive oxygen species. And then the ketones were also improving survivability. So the, the, the ketone-fueled muscle cells were living better and longer. And we admittedly extrapolated that a little bit to... Well, I couldn't help but speculate, might this be part of uh, genuine 
muscle benefit that a human could experience when you because there are reports um, mind you anecdotal but mm-hmm. but an incredible amount of people having some uh, reduced muscle soreness mm-hmm. um, with workouts when they're in ketosis I definitely noticed that mm-hmm. that was one one of the first things I noticed when I got a little more deliberate and a little more strategic and kind of monitoring myself my soreness as a middle-aged guy who works out uh, you know fairly heavily um, it was uh, drastically improved um, uh, but but it could be that the ketones are just helping the muscles uh, thrive the muscle cells at the level of the individual muscle cells they're living better you know they're more resistant to to uh, damage okay can you back it up and tell us uh, I guess in its gory details what you're doing exactly in the petri dish and like what you're putting into it and then how you're measuring that like I I kind of I I don't have a picture in my head so like draw it out for me a little bit more slowly I guess Um, yeah you bet we don't know how this really happens yeah no you can sort of look be I'll pull behind look I'll pull the curtain you can see behind the curtain of the laboratory yeah so in the case of the muscle cell experiments and this was very similar with the the rodent work the muscle cells will we'll just grow on their own. We're feeding them the solution they need, this particular kind of bath that they're in, in right sort of gas conditions and temperature conditions. And then we just took beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is flowing in the blood and nowadays, of course, can be consumed as a supplement. And that's how we gave it to the animals as a supplement. Um, oh, so you were actually... Uh, okay, so these were, these were still live animals. They weren't Petri dishes? Well, no, we did both. So... We, we started in the cells because that's easier and cheaper. We just took muscle cells and added like, beta-hydroxybutyrate. Like from a leg muscle or something like that? Yeah, that, just yeah, and just any muscle cells. Okay. That's right. And we let them grow and so they're healthy and thriving. And then we treated some with beta-hydroxybutyrate, this main sort of circulating pre-ketone molecule, and then others weren't treated with um, uh, uh, ketone or beta-hydroxybutyrate. Mm-hmm. And that's where we saw the differences. We then we took the cells up. And then we just analyzed proteins, analyzed genes, um, analyzed mitochondrial structure, all of those sorts of things. And then in the rodent study, we had two groups of mice. Uh, One group just ate the normal chow, normal water. The other group had access to the same chow. But then we we, uh, uh, gave them, we sort of spiked their... um, water with these ketones to have them to have them just get more ketones in their blood okay and then we we pulled out the muscle so we sacrificed the animals and then we removed the muscles and then these same sort of biochemical analyses of looking at the mitochondria looking at oxidative stress and we do that through things called western blots we do that through qpcr um confocal microscopy or fluorescence microscopy those are the specific techniques Stuff and mind you like one of the standard that is trusted amongst the researchers and everything oh, so it wasn't like oh yeah that's right any 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 kind of biochemical lab you know there's a whole hallway of guys who are doing these same things mm-hmm. guys and gals in my department and and the neat thing at BYU is that all of this is done with undergraduates you know my whole lab at the at the mo- at the time was just you know like 20 some year old undergraduates mm-hmm all of them pre-med, mind you, they're just really motivated to get into medical school and, and they want to be involved in research to get published. And so I just teach these undergraduates what to do and they just get it done. It's really quite remarkable. Nevertheless, so they're doing all this work and and then we get all the results. We analyze the data through just normal statistical analyses, ANOVAs and T-tests. And then we look at the differences, put all the figures together and then we say, all right, have we got a story? Have we, do we have enough data to really tell a full story. And it was basically this 
compiling of, all right, muscle cells, reduced oxidative stress, increased ATP, um, greater survivability, same thing in the muscle tissue from the rodents. Mm-hmm. Yep, you've got enough data, let's write this up and submit it for publication. That, that's the gist. But the takeaway for guys like me and you who are right. interested in ketones mm-hmm. and who want to be fit, the takeaway was ketones may be facilitating my recovery and maybe even muscle gains where it's promoting this overall environment of just a, a muscle cell thriving. And do you have any theories on why that might be happening? Like I, I've heard other researchers talk about uh, ketones possibly being leucine sparing or protein sparing. Does that have anything to do with this? Or are you looking at any other theories? No, well, uh, I'm, uh, that's, that's, a good, that's a good point. There is research to show that ketones do promote um, the maintenance of leucine in the body uh, and that was earlier work. We're simply kind of putting a slightly modified perspective here where we're saying it, it could be due to this reduced oxidative stress. So there's just simply less damage to the muscle. I guess if anything is novel from our work, that would be the novel conclusion in the context of muscle cells. Awesome. Okay. Well, congratulations on that study. It sounds like a, a great thing. So, and the chance of someone's listening to this who's in high school and they're like, whoa, I want to get into that kind of stuff. It's actually a pre-med major or is it like a biology major at BYU? Yeah, yes. It's a physiology major. Very few universities actually have an explicit degree called pre-med. Yeah, I don't know right. that any. That's what I figured. That I, yeah, so it, it's just pretty much a matter of the student is mindful of what the medical requirements are and they just pick a major that facilitates checking all those boxes and gotcha. at BYU it's it's PD bio or physiology um, but every university has comparable degrees and mind you you can come to pre-med from any degree possible mm-hmm. as long as you check the boxes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool so it, it sounds like you're not just a researcher so I'm actually kind of curious so is there anything else to mention about the study first no, no, we, we, we hit on all the important points. Excellent. Okay, so yeah, it's just another another positive check mark for uh, for ketones. Uh, and now, so are there any differences? First off, because some people are going to be like, "Well, that was a uh, a rat study, and some of it was in a petri dish." Are there any major things that don't translate to humans well enough for you to be you know confident to to want to supplement ketones yourself? Yeah. So uh, I don't have any concerns from the perspective of. Uh, wondering, well, does it translate? Is there relevance to humans despite this being in rodents? When it comes to this, these kind of fundamental processes of what happens when a muscle sees ketones, I have very little doubt the same thing would have happened, and maybe we'll do this study in humans where we would have had humans in and out of ketosis, and then we pull a muscle biopsy from a human. That's mm-hmm. something that we do at BYU, and other, many universities do. Okay. In fact, what we are doing in my lab even now is – uh, pulling out fat biopsies uh, from people that are in and out of ketosis. And that's a shift of topic, and I'll just briefly touch on it. But we're asking the question, I'd mentioned earlier that when someone has low insulin levels, like an untreated type 1 diabetic, metabolic rate goes through the roof. And when you start treating diabetics type 1 and type 2 with insulin, metabolic rate drops. Mm-hmm. And that might be part of the reason why they gain so much yeah. weight so quickly and so we wanted to know what's happening there at the level of the fat tissue. And we found that ketones are accelerating metabolic rate in fat tissue by making the mitochondria, um, well, basically work less efficiently. And I almost hate to say that because someone says they might hear that and think, oh, well, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is and it isn't. It's sort of neither good nor bad. 
it's just the, a difference in how the mitochondria are working. But basically, what we're seeing in fat cells, in uh, r- a fat from mice or, uh, or rats, I can't remember which one we used, and now from humans, and we're still compiling all the human data to be one really big study. But basically, the ketones are inducing what's called mitochondrial uncoupling. It's making the fat tissue pull in glucose and just burn through the glucose, not because it needs work done, so it's not for the sake of producing ATP, but just to create heat. And heat is classically energy waste when it comes to a chemical reaction. You know, we're warm-blooded. We're warm-blooded animals, and it's because of this slight inefficiency of every chemical reaction in the body. It, It gives off a little heat, and that's what's heating up our body. In the case of ketones coming to the fat cell, it's causing that to happen more. And so the fat is just burning through stuff a little more, and that results in a higher metabolic rate. Awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah. In fact, I was the very first one. I was the first subject because we were just doing it, um, working with another scientist at BYU named Rob Hildall. He's the guy who pulls muscle biopsies a lot. And I said, Rob, I want to pull some fat biopsies. Uh-huh. Let's do me first. So lay down on the table. We numb the area with lidocaine. And then right next to the belly button, we just make a small incision. And I'm kind of there holding my fat up, you know, pinching my fat yeah. for them to get the needle. And then we just go in with a needle. It's called a Bergstrom needle, about the size of a pencil. Anyway, I'm getting too specific. Anyway, we go in, pull out a little piece of fat, and then we do all those same biochemical analyses that I mentioned earlier. Wow, okay. It sounds like you guys are doing some awesome stuff. Man, uh, in another life, I would have loved to be there. So, <laughs> yeah. what, um, okay, so I, I was going to ask, so what's the next thing for you to do uh, when are you coming back to the States? And, and do you have plans for future follow up research, or are you going to go back into a, a whole other? you know, area of, uh, area of conversation. Oh no, we're totally following this up. So, so we'll finish this. Mind you, we, we always have lots of projects going on of mm-hmm. varying levels of interest. And this, this is the most interesting now, but we just started another project, all of which of course I'll continue the moment I get back um, to my lab. We have another project where we're looking at brain function now too. And we've been using rodents, uh, rodent studies where we take small pieces of the brain and we already have early preliminary data to find that ketones help protect the brain from injury. So there could be relevance here with, say, traumatic brain injury oh, okay. in humans. CTE and then possibly? all of, well, yeah, I don't know, maybe, but certainly TBI, where, um, but maybe CTE. I'm not, I'm not sure yet right, of the, okay. the relevance of this. Um, but, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, one very fun development is that we have started working with uh, a company. It doesn't have a name yet. It's still it's still very young. Um, but a guy named Chris Albert and his group, uh, they have licensed this technology where we're starting to make ketones that are bound to amino acids. Mm. And and it, it's it the idea is we're testing out the efficacy in rodents right now. So it's very preliminary. We have no thing for humans yet. We're just testing out the safety and efficacy in rodents with the, with the next step being once we have um, these data to show that this is safe and effective in rodents, then we'll start doing human studies. But the, 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 the idea is, the technology is we take ketones and then we bind them with various amino acids like, say, leucine, for example. That's what I was going to ask. Cool. Or, yeah, and then, and then it would be a supplement for people um, to take to not only get their ketones but also get these amino acids and of course the benefit there 
is it, it, part of this was um, this invention was based on the, the limitations with the overwhelming majority of ketone supplements, which are ketone salts, and they come with very high levels of minerals mm-hmm. where you, you want the ketone, but if you want the ketone, you also have to get remarkable levels of, say, magnesium, potassium, calcium, sodium. And, and even if someone isn't worried about their blood pressure and those ions, and there's reason to not be worried about blood pressure, there's a little more concern with kidney health, having to clear all those minerals out of the blood, mm-hmm. and even some, even some potentially almost silly concerns, but one that is very real I've seen this with multiple people. They report having a lot more plaque on their teeth where they've really got to be diligent with their plaque when they're taking ketone salts because the plaque, of course, is made of minerals. And as your body gets enriched with these minerals from the ketone salts, it's natural that it will come out in your saliva. That's one way the body's trying to get rid of it. Hmm. And, and so they notice that they have a lot more plaque. And I'd, first, I was seeing that myself and wondering and then asking other people, and they were seeing the same thing. You know, they had to go get cleaning, or they're scraping it off with toothpicks. Um, it was getting so obvious. Nevertheless, there are inherent um, limitations to the overwhelming majority of ketone supplements, and this was a way to bypass that because we don't have any of that. There's none of these minerals um, in this supplement. It's pure ketone and amino acid. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome. I'd love to. I'm sure a lot of our followers would be really interested in that. We'd love to stay tuned with a lot of that. So you're just doing a lot of the research that they're requesting. Or do yeah. You have so like we. This company or anything like that. Or? Well, no, no, I don't have any ownership in the company. No, they. Uh, so the way it works in academia, again, kind of opening, revealing the curtain here, yeah. um, behind the curtain. This was an idea um, that I had, and so then I filed a patent on it through the university. And so, of course, the university has owns most of that patent, uh-huh. and I own my <laughs> my little portion. Right. Um, then, then a company comes in and they license the technology. So then they tell you, all right, we want to pay you to actually use this patent. And then they're the ones. And and I mind you, I'm consulting with them along with a couple other scientists mm-hmm. um, that I brought on board from BYU an organic chemist and then a muscle physiologist, um, David Michaelis and David Thompson. Um, and we're working with these guys just in these early stages just to help move this thing along. Of course, it would be really f- foolish of us to just kind of send them off into the water and say sink or swim. Right. No, you know, we, we, just as scientists, we have more questions that we want to answer. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, uh, especially for me, I want to do human studies including giving this supplement to people, pulling fat biopsies, pulling muscle biopsies, having them do cognitive tests, you know, memory recall tests, et cetera, just seeing what is this functionally doing in humans. So that's all stuff we're getting, we're really looking forward to doing. Awesome. Okay. Well, I, I think it would be it would be silly for us to have this be our only interview ever because I you know, there's a lot of stuff yeah, going on that yeah. I'm extremely interested in. And there's a, definitely some of our followers are too. I can't promise you 10,000 or 100,000 views, but the people who are uh, this far watching, I can tell you that they are uh, they're interested to say the least. So, um, well, yeah, one thing I'd like to leave off on. Obviously, it sounds like you're still. Uh, you're still pursuing at least some sort of athletic endeavors or staying in shape and everything. And so I'm always curious, I guess I'm very curious as you've researched so much of this stuff yourself, what is your diet like in terms of timing, I guess? Are you doing any of the intermittent fasting stuff? Um, and you know, do you track your macros really crazily? And if you do, it would be kind of cool to hear your numbers. And then, uh, and then how you train and like when you take the ketones alongside of that. 
Yeah, those are all the great questions. questions. So let me, yeah, yeah, no problem. So let me see if I can kind of touch on all those. So I don't track my macros. I have in the past just to kind of get an idea right. of where I'm at. And, and I, I, I don't, that's too tedious for me. Um, despite being a scientist and wanting data, <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to monitoring my own food, man, I, I hate doing that. Mm. And I, I really respect people who can do it. Um, but if I were to make a best guess as to where my macros are, um, on average, I'd say I'm five to ten percent carbohydrate, and then I'm probably around sixty percent fat maybe down to 50% sometimes, and then around 30 to 40% protein. Mm -hmm. And in fact, earlier I'd mentioned that step number one for someone who wants to get into the low-carb realm, it was control carbohydrates. To me, right behind that, step number two is make sure that you prioritize protein, especially if you are a middle-aged and over overweight or over-individual who's doing this for weight loss. Um, if you are... Uh, going low carb for weight loss and you're only eating maybe fi say 15% of your calories from protein, that is not enough. And you're going to be losing muscle mass just like you're losing fat mass. And when you're old, you may never get that back. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to make sure you're taking sufficient protein. And, and for, the, for that person, it's going to be around one and a half grams of protein per kilogram body weight or a kilogram ideal body weight if they're really overweight right. and looking to lose weight. Um, that's important. You don't want to be losing lean muscle mass, muscle and bone, while you're losing fat. And you don't have to. Um, so th that's kind of the overall the overall scheme with my diet. I guess those are probably my macros. Um, and, and, again, I do prioritize protein. And with regards to timing, uh, I try to make sure uh, I get – I actually – I take very few supplements explicitly to help me with uh, muscle – maintenance or gaining um, and leucine is one of them so mm -hmm. I will take a teaspoon of leucine about 30 minutes before my workout and then a teaspoon of leucine when I go to bed and uh, that's that's pretty much the only supplement I, I, I do take whey just depending on what I've eaten in the day right. and, and that will be in the form of a shake at, at lunch I'll take um, you know, 25 to 50 grams of whey but I also always add cream or some fat source to that so it's more like an actual meal yeah. so I'm getting a lot of fat and a lot of protein um, what about the ketones and that's some, because of the yeah, study so, yeah, yeah so I do take ketones not every day it, it kind of what I want to make sure is is that I'm going to bed with ketones in my system and that's because of the human research finding that um, a guy named Dale Bredesen, uh, I, I think he's a physician, he published a really remarkable paper in people with early-stage Alzheimer's disease. Again, early-stage Alzheimer's. I think it was eight or nine, maybe ten people, so a pretty small group. But what was remarkable about that was that he found actual reversal of the cognitive decline, so to speak. These early-stage Alzheimer's, these people who had had to quit their jobs or had to be reassigned duties because their dementia was getting so bad mm -hmm. and that's pretty powerful and one of the interventions was um, getting them into ketosis every night by taking something like coconut oil or MCT oil and so if I'm not in ketosis because I indulged a bit that day and uh, you know, whatever uh, and that can be as you know uh, and this matters you know you and I uh, 
my I think I can speak for you too. Priority number one is husband father. Being a husband and father trumps everything mm-hmm. else. Nothing else in life matters if I'm not doing those things well. Um, and so for me, one of my self-imposed limitations is I will not let my dietary choices affect my family Hmm. in any odd way. And so, like, for example, if my 11-year-old, now, mind you, having said that, I do want my dietary choices to help my family. Of course. And that that very much affects the way I make breakfast every day, and I am the breakfast maker (laughs) at home because it's important to me. Mm -hmm. But, like, when my 11-year-old daughter wanted to make dinner for the family and she wanted to make I always use this example because it's just so obvious she wanted to make grilled cheese sandwiches mm-hmm. I'm not going to not eat my daughter's grilled cheese God, sandwich damn right agreed because I say oh sweetheart daddy's got to stay low carb I'm sorry no that's ridiculous yeah. I'm not going to like kick the cheese off the bread you know that's stupid no way you so enjoy that grilled I, cheese <laughs> yeah exactly I ate it and I loved it and when she said dad would you like another one I said absolutely sweetheart <laughs> daddy loves your grilled cheese sandwich and I did and so I wasn't at all in ketosis after that mm-hmm. um, it would take me several hours to get back in um, but I would get back in because my liver is pretty empty of glycogen because I'm pretty low carb all the time it doesn't take long to get back in but I wanted to make sure I went to bed in ketosis so I take a little bit of leucine a little bit of some ketone salts and then I went to bed. Awesome. Um, so that's usually when I take it. I don't take it for my workout uh, because I, I want my body to be using its own fuel. Mm-hmm. I want to be making my own ketones from my own fat to stay lean at middle-aged. Um, and, and so for me, it, it, it's really just a matter of uh, I'm going to bed and I want my brain to use those ketones while I'm sleeping to give it a break from the glucose to help me keep dementia at bay. Nice, oh wow, okay. Well, every turn of this call has been absolutely incredible. Yeah. Thank you so Good. much. I, I really have no other questions for now, except for I will definitely be uh, looking forward to posting this and um, and be following you more on Twitter because you always post and share the, the best stuff, and it's tough to keep up. So yeah. thanks again. For, well, thanks, Mike. No, yeah, thanks again for doing that. Now we'll, we'll obviously uh, we'll have a blog post associated with the, with this as well as a YouTube description where we'll have a lot of the links. Um, I did write down some of the studies I'm going to ask you for, and uh, oh yeah, the last one was was it Feldman the the dementia study where you that led you towards the uh, no ketones or no. No, it was Bredesen, B-R-E-D-E-S-E-N. Well, in fact, you mentioned Feldman. There's a guy who's very active on Twitter named Dave Feldman. Right, yeah. And I, people ought to check him out, too. He is one of those what I call PubMed warriors. He's not a, a credentialed scientist, mm-hmm. um, but a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, and remember, a scientist is someone who is seeking truth. And if, if that is the definition, which I submit is the definition of a scientist, then he's as much a scientist as I am or any of my colleagues, even though that if he doesn't have the credentials for it, um, who cares? Yeah. Um, but he, he's really been leading the charge on questioning the relevance or um, not relevance, but the nature of cholesterol uh, in the body and in the blood and its role. Oh, he's cholesterol it's, code. He was also yep, at, that's he, right. yeah, he was also at KetoCon in Austin. Yes, okay, now it all comes together. Yeah, so you yeah, mentioned Feldman. It's, it's a very fortunate sort of slip of the, of the tongue. Yeah. He's, he's great. There we go. All right, well, you have a great day ahead. I'm gonna go and uh, finish off the, the night of the family and hopefully my wife's gotten the kid to bed by now. And, and, so, <laughs> and so that's all. I really appreciate it once again. I know your time is extremely valuable and this has been more than illuminating. And so we'll have some of these notes down in the description and a blog post, like I said, and we'll be linking to your Twitter and all that. 
Dr. Benjamin Bickman, thank you so much once again. Thanks, Mike. I loved it. I had a great time. Thank you. Yep, in fact.